Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hi there, welcome to When to Jump. My name is Mike Lewis. And today's episode will be a guest episode from another podcast, The Get It Done Guy, aka Steve Robbins. You've heard me talk to Steve on our October 2nd episode of When to Jump, and now I'm excited to share an interview that I did on Steve's podcast. I talk about my own jump story and some of the quote unquote unsexy parts of jumping. A lot of you know my story, but it's kind of fun to bring it to you from another show and a wonderful host. Uh, the ever-exciting Stever Robbins. So keep on listening. I'll take you there right now. This is Stever Robbins. Welcome to the Get It Done Guys. Quick and dirty tips to work less and do more. I'm here today with Mike Lewis, who's an entrepreneur, investor, and the author of When to Jump. If the job you have isn't the life you want, welcome, Mike. Thanks so much for having me, Stever. So, tell me, what is this about? What do you mean? When to jump? Jump where? This whole community and now company and platform was built over really just a simple idea, which was this question of when do you go do what you really want to go do in life? And for me, it was a personal struggle to,、uh, because I didn't know when to chase this long-held dream of mine. As a kid, I was exposed to a professional sport called squash. I thought it was the coolest thing. It's a niche sport. There was only a few courts in our community, and I told myself one day when when I met a professional player, we actually put him up in our home for a few nights. He was traveling through. I said, "I'm going to go do that." And the trouble is, you get on a path in life where it's actually not so easy to decide when you're going to go chase your dreams. And so, ten years after meeting that player, I sat in my office at a venture capital firm. And on paper, felt like I won the lottery. You know, it was a job I could explain to others. My parents were proud, but I still wanted to go play pro squash. And so, when to jump really started as I collected stories of other people sharing their ideas and insights and lessons learned of taking a risk to do something different, whether it was changing jobs, changing lifestyle habits, creating a different health and wellness plan, moving within companies. I just wanted to know what does it take, and the stories piled up, and you know, a book was born, and now a podcast, and a community with festivals and all sorts of things. Wow. Okay, that's pretty cool. So, what are some of the major things that you learned? Because I know that you've actually you haven't been just one of these people who goes around and goes, "Oh, tell me your story." You've actually taken the stories you've heard and synthesized them into a pattern. Yes. So I collected hundreds, if not thousands, of these stories informally over the last five years. I promised my buddy next to me at work that I would someday. Put them in this community forum, whether it's you know what is now WendeJump dot com, whether it's our podcast, the WendeJump podcast, or now is our book, the、uh, WendeJump. If the job you have isn't the life you want, and I don't know if it would have ever progressed into anything more than some story collection if it wasn't for my friend Corey at work, and he really pushed me on this idea. I kind of you know nudged aside for a while, and then finally, you know, sadly, my buddy Corey passed away in an accident, and I realized then. That you know, you only have so much time, and I was going to dedicate this to him. He was a larger-than-life, incredibly influential person to me and to so many others. So I, I really went forward on this vision of creating a community in the book. And what I found as I collected more stories was that there was a, what I called a jump curve framework that emerged. Four 
easy to digest uh, kind of phases that anyone will go through as they chase their passion. Uh, the first is to listen to the little voice. The second is to make a plan. The third is to let yourself be lucky. And the fourth is to not look back. All right. Well, it sounds very natural then to ask. Tell me about them. So listen to your little voice. So my little voice says, oh my gosh, Jeff Bezos is worth $150 billion. You have to be too. Go do that. Is that the little voice? No, I think the little voice is something that you feel like keeps coming back to you. You know, maybe it's to take photos more, spend time in the kitchen, doing things like baking, or could be you like being outside. Why do you like being outside? You've always been curious about languages, and it's just tugging on that little thread and seeing where it goes. And I think crucially, Steve, it's not about does this result in me being rich or famous or jumping fully into something, but really does it allow me to find more time for things that I enjoy doing, whether that becomes a full-time pursuit or not. Oh, wait, interesting. So say more about that, because most of the time when you hear people talk about like following their passion or changing things, it's specifically around the idea of career and the idea of being paid for X, Y, Z, whatever that is. Yeah, I think that's a really bad way to go about things because we're in a society where we're shoved material and content and assets and media all around how you got to go do what you love, got to go do what you love. And, and oftentimes all we see is what it looks like at the other end which is, you know, the picture of someone in Bali or selling a company or making money and this and that. And all those things are great, but oftentimes we don't focus on what I call the nitty-gritty in between. And I think that's where when to jump in our community focuses on is how hard these things really are, why they're still worth doing, but what do the realities look like? And that it might not be a full-time jump you go pursue that changes your life from a, you know, 9 to 5 perspective. Maybe it's just creating time for yourself on nights and weekends. You say there's an unsexy part to following your passion? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember the first story I collected was a cold call that I gave to someone who I read about in a magazine article on my desk in January of 2013, and she had left a bank to become an Olympic cyclist. And we didn't talk at all about how to become an athlete or an Olympian or anything. We spent the time on the, the unsexy stuff, which to me is, you know, telling your parents saving up money, how to move past failure, how to budget correctly, how to tell your friends and coworkers, you know, things you don't really see a, a lot, but, but everyone goes through when they decide to make a real change. Huh. Well, then I want to hear us about some of the unsexy stuff. You said your first step was listening to the little voice. What's unsexy about that? Well, that really isn't that unsexy. The second step is more unsexy, which is make a plan. So you go from the aspirational to the pragmatic. And there I described three kind of smaller pieces in the make a plan section. Financial planning, which is self-explanatory, not sexy. Safety net sewing, which is less unsexy, but still not that sexy, uh, which is really to go and make sure that if your jump doesn't work out, let's say you're leaving your job or let's say you're you know, spending money on something that you've laid a safety net for yourself. And then the third piece really is is to pre-jump practice. You know, practice what you're going to go do. If you want to go start a bakery or become a baker, maybe there's ways to do that without having left your job and mortgaged the home to start a bakery. This episode is supported by an amazing new podcast on the Macmillan Podcast Network called Case Closed. It's a riveting true crime story you won't want to miss. One hot summer day in 2014, Erin Corwin kissed her husband John goodbye and left for a hike in Joshua Tree National Park. She never came back. Two months later, her body was found in an abandoned mine shaft deep in the desert. As the authorities investigated Aaron's murder, the case had a huge ripple effect on the small marine community of 29 Palms, California, 
where Erin and her husband lived. Hear the whole chilling story on the podcast Case Closed. The entire season is out now, so you can binge listen to the entire podcast without having to wait for more. Find Case Closed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. That's Case Closed. All right, let's take these one at a time. The first you said was financial planning. What do you mean financial planning? Like get a 401k? No, I think I mean like if you're going to, let's say an example we're giving is you want to start a bakery. The financial planning piece is if you know you need to have the lights on for a year just to be in business and to see if you have a shot at doing it successfully, you've got to start budgeting and planning your lifestyle now to accommodate a year's jump into running a bakery, not just how much it'll cost, but how much you need to save right now and, and all the other things that go in financial planning. Okay, so we're talking about not just financial planning in terms of maybe a business you want to start, but financial planning in terms of what do you have to do to even get to the point where you can take the jump exactly. or try the thing. Got it. Okay, doke. Tell me about safety nets. Well, I think that that's you know, somewhere where let's say you have a, a really nice job and you don't really want to leave it. You're a teacher. Everyone really likes you and you want to go be a baker. I think it's from my perspective, important to lay the foundation before you jump. So socialize it with those who are around you really share what your plans are for those who, you know, will support you. Maybe some people you're not able to share it fully with too early on, but really lay the groundwork of why you're going, what, what it means to you, how you're going to do it. And when you think you'll come back, if, if at all, and I think that allows you a feeling of, wow, if this baking thing doesn't work, I've got people in my corner that I could go back to. Even if it's not that school, maybe I'll go to another school and I'll have a great story to tell. It's creating a safety net. Is the safety net emotional or financial? Because it sounds like you almost emphasize the emotional part. Yeah, I guess I bifurcate it where the financial part is more around the financial planning and the safety net part is more on emotional, relationship-based, it's career thinking, it's big picture stuff that's probably more intangible. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I've made my financial plan, I'm saving money, and I have established an emotional safety net, and the financial plan has given me a financial safety net. What is pre-jump practice? Pre-jump practice is really just saying, okay, what can I do before I actually jump? to get better at what the thing is that I'm about to go do. So if you want to be a baker, maybe you can shadow a baker once a week. Maybe you can watch YouTube videos on baking at lunch. Maybe you can write down recipes at night uh, of what you would actually start your bakery with and and then test them on the weekends. It's doing everything you can before you you know press the jump button. Okay, so that's actually trying the thing out. Now, you said that this wasn't necessarily about finding something that's a profession. Yes. So can you talk a little bit more about that distinction? Because it seems like a financial plan and pre-jump practice, th those are almost profession-oriented. Right. Well, I think some things might just be, I want to become a triathlete, and I want to compete in two different Ironmans a year. That's going to take a lot of pre-jump practice. And that's also going to take some safety net sewing, maybe not to the extreme because you're not going to be quitting your job, but you still want people to know if you have to take a week off or a day off, this is what you're doing. And then the first piece, you know, this is kind of in reverse order, the financial planning is you really do have to say, okay, if I want to go to Kauai and compete for a, a week, but I also have to train and get the right nutrition and wellness and talk to physios and all these other things, you actually do have to follow those pieces just to be able to, to do a side jump like that. Got it. Okay. So we've talked about listen and make a plan. And the make a plan has financial planning, safety net, and pre-jump practice. What was step three? 
is to let yourself be lucky. And that's the point where you've planned as much as you can. And as, as we both know, no jump can be made with 100% certainty. It wouldn't be a jump. It'd be simply walking, right? You wouldn't be taking a, a step off of something to the unknown. And I think that's where you say, I've lined up enough things in my corner with the people I've talked to, with the planning, with, uh, with some of the prep and the pre-jump practice that I'm going to take a jump and I will find my luck. And that's what I found in the book. Huh. Tell me more about that. Like, what are some examples of what it, of what it would mean to get lucky and to find your luck? Well, I think, you know, a great example would be if you look at Michael Lewis, the finance author, he's featured in my book. He actually describes the sensation of letting yourself run into luck. And he quit a job on Wall Street where he was writing a little bit on the side. He had a proposal that was purchased by a publisher and he was going to go for it. And he didn't know exactly how it was going to work out, but he knew that he had set himself up he had learned a bunch of stuff about writing. He had practiced writing. He had you know, done all these different things that when he actually took the jump, it wasn't as scary. And then a career obviously blossomed out of it that he could never predict it without going. And even in my own story, when I left you know, Bain Capital and went to go play squash, I moved to New Zealand thinking it'd be three months. And it ended up being 18 months and 200,000 miles and 50-something countries. And almost every night was with other people. And I think that's to me, what's so incredible about this story is that it's not that I could have found that out had I kept planning. I would have just never left because I'd be, oh, gosh, I don't know exactly how it's going to go. And so at some point, you have to just jump and let yourself run into that luck. Interesting. So that almost sounds leap of faithish. Yes, it is. Exactly. So it's a combination of you're having faith and you're taking what happens if you don't get lucky? Is there any way you can increase your chances of luck? Well, I think you just, as much as you can, you want to, you know, if you focus on the plan, the more if you focus on the planning pieces we discussed, I think you can increase your chances for luck. But I don't think you'll regret, and that goes to our fourth step, you're not going to regret jumping and you don't look back. The fourth step is don't look back. Because if you've actually put in the work to listen to the voice, to make a plan, to let yourself be lucky, it doesn't matter how the jump turns out. And we have a lot of quote-unquote failures in the book in this section of don't look back that actually turned out to be really successful in the eyes of the person who jumped and so i found that no one who has gone through this framework has regretted the decision now it doesn't mean it worked out as planned because most things don't but that doesn't mean they re regretted it cool so tell me then what is your next jump or are you planning another jump well, my next jump is really to continue to build our community. We launched an online learning program this year on whentojump.com. You can learn more about it. We have a newsletter that comes out every week. We have a podcast now that you'll be on and people should check out the when it's called when to jump. And, you know, we're working more with businesses and companies that want to create this idea of jumping, but within their company and to promote internal jumping. And so for me, the jump is what we're doing now, you know, just, just it's scary, but it's, it's worth doing. Interesting. Wait, how do you promote jumping within a company? Well, a lot of people look outside of companies when they think of taking the jump. Um, Harvard Business Review said 73% of folks inside companies look outside when they think of a new job. And, you know, we think we can change that. We can say, hey, here's what's going on within your company. Interesting. So you would find things within companies that enable people to get the same thing that they would get from doing a jump. Exactly. Hmm. Do you have any examples of that yet? There's examples in the book of someone who went from research to sales at a big tech company. Someone else went from customer service to be a sales engineer. Yeah, they're actually in the book itself, and we hear them all the time. Wow. Very cool. So we've gone through the four major steps. What are some other things that we should know about jumping, deciding to jump? 
I'm very intrigued, by the way, by the whole listening to the little voice thing, because I found that there are a couple kinds of people. There's people who have that little voice, are connected enough to it, and have some sense of what they want to do. And then there's people who are just like, they're like, well, I know I don't like what I'm doing now, or I know I don't like my life now, and they just have no idea. And for them, it's it's even how do you how do you get to that little voice in the first place? Yeah, I think that it's really just taking time out. You know, we actually have on our online learning program, we have a three-day challenge that's free, and it really starts with that earliest nugget, that earliest, smallest kernel of getting to evolve what it is you're going to have an interest in. And I think that's the hardest point, but that's really where we spend a lot of time is just tuning out the distractions and listening into that voice. What are some of the things that people have heard from their voice? Oh, gosh, all sorts of things. Someone just joined um, a department of pregnancy services in the Midwest, leaving a corporate job for a nonprofit. People have become writers and bloggers, musicians. Folks have become motorcyclists going across the country, entrepreneurs, wellness advocates, every, everything you can imagine. Interesting, because almost all of those sound like they are jumps off of a traditional career path to something that would be normally considered artistic or alternative or something. Have you ever had anyone go in the opposite direction? Yeah, some people's jumps were just to try to get back into a corporate job. You know, that that happened actually also in the book. Someone left a job in a mega retailer to try to go into a, a kitchen and learn the restaurant business, didn't really love the restaurant business, went back into a retail job and then jumped again later to open a cheese shop. And that jump that didn't work out actually led to it. Oh, very cool. You're talking to someone who loves cheese, by the way, just for just for uh, worth. Well, you should check out Mission Cheese. Sarah Dvorak started Mission Cheese in San Francisco. There's a couple locations now in Berkeley, and she's featured in, in the When to Jump book. Nice. All right. Mission Cheese. So what else? Is there? Is there anything else? We're pretty much uh, just about out of time. Is there anything else conceptually or about when to jump or figuring out when is the time to jump that we should know? And then if not, let's go straight on to how can people find you? Sure. No, I think that, you know, like I said, it just you can jump in really small ways, tiny little decisions, tiny little moments in your day where you take a step back. And, you know, I'd love for people to check us out. We're at whentojump.com on social media, at whentojump on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And we've got a newsletter that comes out weekly you should check out, which is just whentojump.com slash newsletter. And of course, our podcast, which we'll have you on. So yeah, that's where you can find us. And I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. This has been Mike Lewis the author of When to Jump. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that guest episode from the Get It Done Guy podcast with Steve Robbins. You know where to find When to Jump, whentojump.com, at when to jump across social media. Send us your ideas, your thoughts, your jumps, your hopes, your dreams. Follow us at when to jump across social and definitely check out the Get It Done Guy podcast for more interesting folks that Steve gets to come across. Maybe even more interesting, probably more interesting than me. My name is Mike Lewis. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.